if you've got 12 or 13 companies underneath you that haven't been fully rolled up into your brand yet, and they've all got their own products as well, but you're still trying to drive people into the top of the funnel, that's a lot of friction to conversion or to sale. So that's what I mean by making sure that you get it. This is something that really is a true marketing and company-led double down on profitability. And marketing has a huge role to play to get that right. The Strategic Marketing Show is brought to you by Insights for Professionals, providing access to the latest industry insights from trusted brands, all in a customized, tailored experience. Find out more over at insightsforprofessionals.com. Hey, it's David. How can improved customer experience result in more sales and better customers? That's what we're discussing today with a lady who has 25 years of experience in the B2B media industry, working on many large accounts, including IBM, HSBC, and Oracle. She recently founded Realm, a dynamic and modern B2B media agency that puts clients' businesses' needs first. A warm welcome to the Strategic Marketing Show, Izzy Rivers. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Hey, Izzy, thanks so much for coming on. Well, you can find Izzy over at realmb2b.com. So, Izzy, why does lifetime value matter? Oh, that is a big question. Lifetime value has always mattered. I'd probably throw that out there first. Um, It's always been a conversation we've had a lot uh, with our clients, but it's become more important over probably the last two to three years. I dread to say the COVID word. We don't want to have another conversation about the effect of the pandemic on marketing, I don't think at this point, but that did start it. And now we're seeing, um, because of the macro economy and all the conversations you're probably having with guests around how the economy is impacting marketing, we're seeing that have a direct correlation to new conversations on lifetime value. That's because clients are looking at, oh, how can we do things like manage churn, deliver quality work, um, and look at those levers that we have internally to make sure we're getting most out of the clients that we actually have or that we're onboarding, right? So that um, the people that make it through the next couple of years with this crazy macroeconomic environment we have with the most high spending clients, so we're the ones that win. So that's why the direction has very much gone on to a double down on profitability, profitable first growth, and either making the most of current clients and making sure they're spending as much as possible, or making sure that the people that were getting into the business um, from a net new marketing perspective are going to spend as much as possible and are not just going to do a trial and then abandon, for example. So yeah, lifetime value. It's probably one of the... I guess sometimes some marketers tend to focus on acquiring new customers, maybe because they feel it's easier or perhaps it's more challenging to measure the impact, the lifetime value of that customer. Um, So how easy is it to measure the financial impact of improving customer experience? In terms of measuring the impact of customer experience, there are some easy indicators that businesses are using, but they can sometimes be a little bit confusing for the marketing team because those are financially driven metrics. So consumption, usage, increase in subscription rates, amount of time in platform. For example, if you happen to have a cloud-based solution that's eminently trackable, that's always very helpful. But they don't always link back to marketing. So it's a bit like the old days where you used to run a TV campaign and then just measure sales and assume that there was an impact based on what ran. So 
You can measure lifetime value very easily and simply, but I think it's about taking those metrics and moving them up through marketing with that customer experience to really understand what are the things that are driving better people into the business, better new customers and better usage when they get in to really increase that profit margin and reduce friction in renewal patterns. Okay, so I guess what you're suggesting is to profile the people that um, are heavier users of, of what you offer and then take that profile and use that to define perhaps some kind of marketing persona to better define your um, acquiring campaign? Yes, that can be a bit of it. It's got to be very aligned with the product teams and the sales teams as well. So this is part of the marketers coming together to be more of a dynamic unit within the business itself. So say there is a metric uh, or a, a strategic decision that's taken by the business to manage this double down on profitability in today's environment. And let's say that decision is we're going to cut the amount of offers and promotional deals that we do because we can't offer too much off on the top line. We want to get them spending as much when they come in. So we're not going to give them 50% off. We're going to give them 20% off. Well, that, even those decisions, have a dramatic sort of impact on how to change the customer journey pre and post trial. And there are some really sort of fundamental things that would then go along with that in terms of the media and the marketing assessment to bring those in. So again, plucking an example out of thin air, Let's say it's inbound, so SEO and PPC, so Google, your pay click, your search, the people that are coming through to your website. You need to make sure they're going to the right places, that the pages are all realigned to the new offers, that um, it's as easy as possible to get to that offer and that you're then using first-party data as intelligently as possible to get those people to convert after they've completed the trial, for example, before you even get into questions like, upsell and cross-sell once they've come across the line. So I think it used to be more, we were in such a high growth mindset for years and the birth of SaaS and this huge, you know, increase into subscription models and digital. It was all just get me as many net new customers in the door as possible. I just want new. And it was all about that high growth. And that story has changed dramatically, slowly in the first uh, two of the last three years and then in this last year, much more aggressively towards every marketing dollar needing to count and each one of those needing to be um, more attributed to profits and strength, building strength into the company versus just volume that may not be too helpful. You mentioned sales teams and product teams there as well. Can you perhaps highlight specific areas within the sales process or product development process that marketing teams, marketing leaders need to be highly involved in? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Uh, yeah, uh, I could take one. ABM's a good one. There's been a lot of conversation about how ABM lives or dies by the quality of the uh, target account list, for example. And sales and marketing and product have been very aligned on, you know, what is our category entry point? What is the product and the service that we need to sell? And then what are the accounts that resonate with that and bring those in? I think marketing's job is very strong in that cohort in driving the strategic value of the audience because sales will want to do a really good job with what gets anything in the door to meet their targets. And that's that's the way they operate and they do a good job of it usually. Sale, um, the product teams are working within an internal environment based on the expertise they see there. Marketers can take a fresh look at the audience as a whole and say and come up with a strategy that's much more okay do we need to go more premium 
is there a better competitive share that would we could be taking in the upper mid market? Are we going to get higher spenders overall if we go after enterprise companies and our business is currently going after small to medium businesses, for example? So identifying where that growth is and pushing away from kind of the business as usual. So some of it's about cohesion um, and working more intelligently together to deliver something that's you know less friction driven. And I think some of it is about, you know, looking at the landscape as a whole, what the competitors are doing and what the audience are doing and trying to answer for that in a profitable way. So through experience with uh, what the customer does or want to do, um, should uh, marketers use that, use that information to assist product teams with future product development or is that overstepping their mark a little bit? I think... I think the product teams and product managers have always looked for customers to drive product development. Um, they probably looked for existing customers to drive that primarily because that could be things like adding on bolt-ons or products and services or, you know, things that the product actually does. So always looking for outside help. With marketing, if you're driving net new in particular, I think the value there is very much looking at the needs, wants, category entry points and competitors and feeding that back in. Because that definitely would have an impact on the product teams in terms of perhaps selecting what a hero project could be, what are we going to go to market with, which of all the products we have, products and services we have, might resonate more with the audience and really pulling that out more than than just pushing it back in. Now you also say that an improved customer experience allows for an increased rate of self-selection. What do you mean by that? Well, okay, you could you could play a little bit of sort of marketing bingo with some of the terminology that goes around. Like the path to purchase isn't linear anymore. Ninety uh, percent of the customer journey is driven by the customer itself and not by the brand. Uh, a customer will, I don't know, uh, search for ten things before they ever put a brand term into the search search bar, whatever those things are. But you know they are inherently true. The the path to research and consideration in any kind of a significant purchase is driven now by the customer themselves. So that's sort of what I mean by customer experience is the answer to that. Making sure that you have a really cohesive brand, a cohesive story, you're in all the environments that you need to be in a way that makes it easier for people to engage with and consume your content and then perhaps move further down that that sales funnel. So that's what I mean by self-select. People need to be able to select the journey they want to take, but ultimately it still behooves you to attempt to sort of move them into a direction that you want them to so that you can actually convert them to a sale. Uh, So it's like an orchestration, I suppose, customer experience, and there's a lot of consistency required. I'd like to zero in a little bit more on the defining of high usage customers and actually taking that information and um, incorporating that into a marketing strategy. So you mentioned earlier on, um, you can look at usage and other metrics like that. But how do you take that and actually take that information and make that a relevant part of your marketing strategy? Well, it all comes down to data, doesn't it? So the quality of the first party data that you hold, how you're gathering that, what kind of actions you're gathering that on. So I often find that if you're building a framework, simplicity is best because this can get very granular and very complicated very quickly. The customer journey is already very complicated. The user experience is very complicated. Measurement and the frameworks behind that and the content behind that should be as 
clear as possible so that you can actually use the insights. And you need to really sit down and have a look at what are the things that are high value to me, not just with a framework that you've been using before, but what, what are high value to this particular thing we're trying to achieve? How do we measure that? And how do we capture the people that are doing it? Because if you can capture the people who are landing on your page from certain large enterprise companies, for example, and doing a high value action that you care about, reverse IP those and build a segment to go after large enterprise on an ABM front to bring more of those kind of companies in. That's something that you can do in the mid funnel. Whereas if you identified that MQLs don't mean much more to you anymore because they, they, you know, marketing defined, you want to remarket against SQLs or SALs uh, or people that are further down the pipeline, then you would you very carefully carve those people out and figure like, can I build them in Google? Can I build them in social? How do I attract more attention from these people? And that's very B2B driven. I mean, in consumer, um, there's the benefit of scale. So you've got far more people doing it. So this, this is actually simpler from a data perspective. You can do more lookalikes. You can do more scale plays. Whereas in B2B, often it, it, it works more to be specific. Right. And, and I'm sure you work on many campaigns or, or work with many organisations that have long, long sales cycles, perhaps even many years. So how do you go about defining which particular touch point um, within that funnel actually had the most impact on resulting them becoming a customer? That's a really good question. Okay. Probably easiest to do that for people, for for sales cycles that are about six months, three months to six months. When you get into two years territory, that's even more of a challenge because you get you get all kinds of churn in two years. The people that you're speaking with on the customer side could leave and you're starting again. That's a constant sales channel uh, challenge. Your um, clients could leave. Agency staff could could churn. So you, you, you have people churn. You have tech innovations. You have uh, somebody else might bring that client in through the back door and you didn't even know they were in the business. So two years is challenging. I think I would always make recommendations on the brand level there. The role of brand for incredibly long sales cycles, as we all know, is absolutely really, really, really important. And that kind of interaction builds longevity in the sales cycle. So you're not just trying to capture the lowest hanging fruit here. This isn't looking for anybody who will convert as quickly as possible in that high growth mentality. This is about building that pipeline with audiences that you think will move the needle. And that usually takes more of an investment in that brand side of things. So what's an example of a brand that's doing a really good job with what we're discussing? I think there's a few, actually. There's a few. Yeah, there's been a little while for brands to, you know, get behind it, really, and start start addressing it internally. One one brand that I believe is doing an incredibly good job at it at the moment is HP, uh, HP GreenLake. We've been having some discussions with them over the last sort of year and a half, and they're very, very smart internally. You know, they've got a really great team, I think they sat down early on and had clearly had very good discussions around what our hero product should be with that move to HP GreenLake as a as a champion, what that aligns to, what the brand alignment is to. And getting brands and product working really hard together is in, is mandatory for this because if you track people in and you want to convert a sale, they convert on something, right? Got to be easy to buy. So HP do a really good job of that inside out in terms of who we are, what we want to sell, who do we want to sell it to, and then the go-to-market plan around that. 
Um, it's really impressive. Superb. And, and just to clarify, um, I'm thinking, uh, I'm used to thinking of um, Hero in relation to content. So to produce hero type content, and you obviously refer to hero product. Um, how, how do you define a hero product? Oh, well, I mean, how much time do you have? Um, there's <laughs> lots of different schools of thought on it. Uh, it, can, it can depend on the category uh, as well. So uh, let's say you're in financial services, for example, you might want to choose a product which has very high liquidity or something that's um, good to sell, isn't too controversial, and it works well in cross-sectional advertising. Um, in tech, you probably want to pick a cloud-based or agile-based um, product because you're then looking at moving people forward through digital transformation a little bit more. So it needs to be something that's cutting edge, but then also really delivers and is an entry point into others. So it might be an umbrella category, for example. So there's a lot of different considerations that go into picking products and often muddied by products that are their own brands, which is always interesting because you look at um, a lot of companies, of course, expand by mergers and acquisitions and M&A strategies buy things that can be really good products underneath the, the main brand. And then you have a whole other raft of challenges. So I think that's why it's so important. It's so important to look at because right back to that discussion we had on building a cohesive story. This is an example of if you've got 12 or 13 companies underneath you that haven't been fully rolled up into your brand yet, and they've all got their own products as well, but you're still trying to drive people into the top of the funnel, that's a lot of friction to conversion or to sale. So that's what I mean by making sure that you get it. This is something that really is a true marketing and company-led double down on profitability. And marketing has a huge role to play to get that right. I'm not necessarily thinking about what we've been discussing so far. What's the number one thing that marketers need to incorporate into their strategy? Oh, testing, 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 testing. It's always a little bit disappointing saying testing because it's something that every brand everywhere should be doing to make sure that their media and their marketing is developing. But because, because of this shift to profitable growth and every marketing dollar needing to be attributable and, and working as hard as possible. We're seeing testing get a little bit disrupted actually in this year, which is very counterintuitive to what it is that people are trying to achieve. There are some barriers to it. So there's some challenges around getting enough content to do testing well, getting enough journeys, but it really, it provides the pathway to scale, to better performance, to actually having cohesive message cadence so that you've got people having a story and the touch points that they, they get to you. And I think it's the only thing that's going to answer for such a competitive landscape. This is, this is as competitive as it gets, this kind of environment we're in right now. Companies will make it through or they won't. And testing is fundamental, is what I would say. Great advice. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Izzy Rivers over at realmbzb.com. Izzy, thanks so much for being on the Strategic Marketing Show. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. Here at IFP, our goal is simple. To connect you with the most relevant information to help solve your business problems all in one place. InsightsforProfessionals.com. <laughs>